We're only halfway through Jonah's journey. It's already been a roller coaster ride. We've encountered a daring escape attempt, a terrifying storm, a near shipwreck, a man being thrown overboard into the angry sea, a fish swallowing a man, and my personal favorite as a child, that big fish burping up said man onto a beach. See, you thought you had had some bad vacations. Some mission trips that went awry. It ended up on a positive note, but what a terrible trip. Can you imagine now if Jonah would have gone online to review his trip on one of those travel sites? First off, if I could give zero stars, I would. This trip was the worst. The weather from Joppa to Tarshish was promised to be perfect. Um, Fake news. It's the worst weather I've ever experienced. Now, I know the tickets were cheap, but how can anyone call that dinghy a cruise ship? Furthermore, how can you expect patrons to rest in the hold of a ship? Once I finally did go to sleep, I was rudely roused by one of the crew. I hate to name names, but you did this to yourself, Captain Sherninadab. How'd you get that job with that kind of customer service? Hashtag, not my captain. Someone needs to take you to Chick-fil-A and teach you how to talk to people. (laughs) Trying to tell me how can I sleep. Listen, I was just as surprised I could sleep as you were, considering your guests are forced to literally lay on the most uncomfortable bed at the bottom of a boat. What was the bedding like? Hope you like burlap, because apparently, unlike the sheets of the Egyptians, Phoenician cotton is thread count zero, (laughs) because they don't exist. Boat breaking up before my eyes, and the staff's over there rolling dice like it's family game night. Yahtzee, we're all going to drown. Their conversations with customers sound a lot like interrogation. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? Well, here's a question for you. Where's my luggage? (laughs) My luggage was lost, not misplaced, but uh, lost at sea. Interfaith services are a joke. Sure, they begin with prayer, but at the first mention of a mistake, you're an outcast. Seawater spa treatment was about one drop from waterboarding. I'm pretty sure the seaweed facial is supposed to soothe you, not strangle you. And although the report of a fantastic fishing, this report of fantastic fishing turned out to be true, let's just say the the fish weren't biting like I had envisioned it. (laughs) Thankfully, thankfully I finally ended up on a beach The only thing that saved this trip and me that redeemed me from complete disaster was purely the grace of God. Next time, I'm going to Nineveh. (laughs) Signed, Jonah, Gath, Heifer, Israel. It's been quite a ride up until this point, hasn't it? But Jonah, after being the doormat of death's door for days, sees his folly, turns away from his own will, and he turns towards God's way and his will. The first chapter deals with disobedience, the second second chapter with deliverance, and the third now, repentance. 
Let's dive back into Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. Will you look there with me? Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. We've been learning some lessons from the life of Jonah. Tonight we'll continue with our first lesson from chapter 3. Lesson 7. God gives his servants second chances. God gives his servants second chances. Well, I feel like we've heard this somewhere before, this calling, this first part of chapter 3. Get up and go has a touch of Groundhog Day in it, doesn't it? Here we go again. There's certainly some deja vu in calling number 2. However, there is this stark contrast. This time Jonah listens and obeys. He, get up, he gets up and he goes. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, the Bible says. It's clearly emphasized by the author. God's word doesn't want us to miss that. There's another shot at getting it right, doing what God says, going down the right path. It's no wonder that Jonah is often referred to as the gospel of the second chance. God is gracious, and God is merciful, and he won't let us run away from obedience without chasing us with his chastening hand, even if he has to schedule storms and a great fish in our travel itinerary. He doesn't kick players off God's team when they fail him. He doesn't crumple up his creations and toss them in the trash. To be fair, he doesn't have to use Jonah, but he wants to. In fact, he delights in loving and launching into a lost world what others would reject. Many stores have them. You often find them in a forgotten aisle, tucked away somewhere in a cleared-out corner in the stockroom, unorganized, mislabeled, tattered tags, picked over. Stores give them different names, final clearance, bargain bin, last chance items, basically the stuff we can't sell, so we're so close to just giving it away. away. Come take a look, buy it, steal it. We really don't care. Get it out of here, please. Remember Sears? <laughs> yeah, I've tried to forget too, but I just can't get over a place where you can buy a wedding ring and a washer and dryer just one section away. Now, how come that didn't work out? R.I.P. Roebuck. Gone too soon. Do you remember that back room they had? Wasn't really labeled well, minimal signage, unless it was something like enter at your own risk. Back in that room, there were all sorts of items. Bicycles with flat tires, torn up toys, returned refrigerators, ovens with dinged up doors, clothes racks filled with undesirable patterns flawed garments labeled imperfect that no one would be caught dead wearing. 
Just a wealth of issues no one wanted to deal with. You, you know what I'm talking about. Sort of a reject room, if you will. Basically all the broken stuff most people avoid, that people don't want to use. If you haven't noticed yet by now, Jonah's story makes you straighten up and see it. God gives those who we believe belong in the second-hand store second chances. When everyone else says, I can't use that, God says, I can. He goes down the aisles and he hears those that call out to him in repentance and he picks them up and calls them to do great things for his namesake. See, we can go down the pages of the Old Testament. We see God use a prostitute in Rahab. She had a problematic past, but God changed her and her family's future the day she believed in God and she saved two of his men. Flip a little further and you come to a shepherd boy that God made a king who carried the label of adulterer and murderer and yet when he repented, God gave him a new label, man after God's own heart. What about Peter who promises Jesus he'll be with him to the end, but he denies him over and over in the midst of Jesus' death? Yet when he turns back to the Lord, the Lord says, I'm going to build my church through you. There are countless others who God gifted with the grace of a second chance. The truth is the king of kings is also the king of comebacks because no doubt the Lord has led more comebacks than all of the Hall of Fame quarterbacks combined. You just need to know God shops the scratch and dentile. He looks at the shattered pieces of our past and says, I can put them back together. I'll still call them to do great things. He sees a home and people in that home that are falling apart. And while others say it's in shambles, it's not worth saving, it ought to be condemned, God sees it and says, oh no, 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 it's got good bones. I can fix it. He loves renovation projects. He delights in home restorations. If he had a work truck, it would say that he specializes in it. And just under that, it would say, building beauty out of the broken since well forever. Jonah's journey shows us that he can look at your life and look at your current situation and look at your past and yet so clearly speak to your soul and say, turn to me. I can still use you. I still have a plan for you. Look at me. God gives his servants second chances. Jonah says yes to the Lord, and he doesn't squander his second chance. He goes to Nineveh. Look at verse 1 with me again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation, which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding, exceedingly great city, a three days walk. 
God gives his servants second chances. But then I want you to see God sends a message of mercy. Verse 4 says, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. We've established that Nineveh was this great city, not in a good sense, but both in sin and in size. It was situated where modern-day Mosul, Iraq, is located. Archaeologists estimate that in the time where Nineveh is mentioned in the Bible, it had a population around 120,000 people. The Bible says it took a three-day walk, or to quantify it in panhandle power walker terms. It's about 1,200 times around Westgate Mall's interior. Now, depending if you count the food court, some people see that as extra credit. See, the significant time was probably so long because it was likely referring to the surrounding area as well as that main walled city. And it could be that it just took that long to go to all the sections of the city. Now Jonah had to go with the same God-given message. He's not free to add to it. He's not free to subtract from it. He's not free to soften it in any way. There's no variance between the proclaim to it in 3-2 and the preach against it in 1-2. Their wickedness continues to come up to the Lord, and Jonah has to cry out against it. Jonah's job the the second time around is just as demanding. Following the narrow way of God's will doesn't mean it's an easy walk, free from pain or struggle, far from it. Jonah's being sent to swim into the waves of a wicked city, into the belly of a bad situation. He was bold, clear, concise, uncompromising. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Hebrew term used has a a wide range of meaning, that word overthrown. It can be used for destruction like in the case of Sodom as well as transformation as seen in the Psalms. See, there's another interesting aspect of Jonah's message from God was this this 40 days. It was kind of like when you get that letter in the mail and they say, you've got 30 days or we're coming for you. You've got 30 days or you're going to be in trouble. Or that photo they send you of your car running through a red light, clearly proclaiming your traffic transgressions and that your wickedness has warranted judgment. You've got this many days to make things right. Well, what's that period of time called? It's a grace period. The 40 days in God's message to Nineveh was a grace period Often in scriptures, 40 is used for a period of waiting and testing. Though scripture records no explicit mention of the possibility of pardon, the Ninevites understood that they were being given an opportunity to repent. If God irreversibly was determining to destroy their city, well then why would you send a messenger to warn them? 
See, see the line there, second time, early in chapter three, doesn't just emphasize that God is giving Jonah another chance, but it also underscores God's determination to get this message to Nineveh. They deserved the condemnation due to them. They were exceedingly evil by any definition, and yet God is going to great lengths to give them this warning. He could have justifiably just wiped them out with no warning. He could have said the word and watched the wicked all waste away with his wrath. He could have left the disobedient prophet down in the depths, but he saves Jonah and he saves a city because he's a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Make no mistake, this message of judgment is a message of mercy. He's determined to get his message of mercy to you too. He's gone to such great lengths, so much so that he gave his only son to die on our behalf. And just as God's message of mercy came to Nineveh, it has come to all mankind in the Messiah Jesus. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Where would you be without his message of mercy? You could find us. We'd be under judgment. We too would be destined for destruction, just like Nineveh, a castaway, drowning, just like Jonah. But for those who have called Jesus Lord, the magnificent, matchless message of mercy has met us in our need. Thank God. Thank God that he gives a message of mercy. God gives his servants second chances. The eighth lesson, God gives a message of mercy. Look at verse five with me. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and put sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and it said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let man call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from violence which is in his, in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. God gives his servants second chances. God gives a message of mercy. And then God's relenting requires man's repenting. It took just one day of preaching before revival breaks out. 
Usually, if you start a revival on Sunday, it's Tuesday before anything good starts happening. I've attended many camps, preached at camps, retreats, conferences, and I'm pretty sure nobody's supposed to get saved until at least Wednesday. (laughs) But Nineveh was ahead of the curve when Jonah came. They received the word immediately. Why would pagan Nineveh respond? It is possible that certain events could have prepared the people of Nineveh for the prophet's message. Assyria was being led by weak rulers, threatened by mountain tribes from the north who had driven their frontiers within hundreds of miles of the soon capital. That danger of destruction was very real to Nineveh. On June 15th, 763 BC, in the 10th year of Asherdom III, there was a total solar eclipse over Assyria. That'll make a superstitious people a little nervy. Who knows, whatever it was, the sovereign God over all was speaking to them through his prophet Jonah, and they responded in repentance. What Nineveh was to experience was contingent on the reception and the following action. If the people did not change, they would experience God's judgment. If the people did change, they would experience God's mercy. See, it matters what you do when God's message comes to you. And Luke 1130, it says that Jonah was not only assigned to the men in Christ's time, but also unto the Ninevites. When the Pharisees and Sadducees tempted him, asking for a sign from heaven, he answered, no sign shall be given but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah's message had a direct bearing on the Ninevites and an indirect bearing on the Jews in Christ's time. The people of Nineveh repented of their evil ways after hearing Jonah's call for repentance while the Pharisees continued in their unbelief despite being eyewitnesses to the miracles of Jesus. Jesus was telling the Pharisees that they were liable for their unbelief. Given the conversion of the people of Nineveh, sinners who had received far less evidence than the Pharisees themselves had witnessed. The final eruption of Mount St. Helens in May of 1980 was not a sudden event. For two months prior to the massive blast, the most deadly and destructive in American history, earthquakes and volcanic activity signaled a major event was going to happen. Authorities had plenty of time to sound the alarm. People were warned who were living by of the the looming danger, yet despite the seriousness of the threat, some people chose to disregard the warnings. Probably the best known of those who refused to evacuate was Harry Randall Truman, the 83-year-old man who was the owner and caretaker at the Mount St. Helens Lodge at Spirit Lake. He had survived the sinking of his troop, his troop ship, by a German submarine off the coast of Ireland during World War I, And he wasn't about to leave just because scientists thought there was going to be danger. Truman told reporters, I don't have any idea whether it will blow, but I don't believe I'm to the point that I'm going to pack up. On May 18th, 1980, 
Truman and his lodge were buried beneath 150 feet of mud and debris from a volcanic eruption. His body was never found. Could it be this is for you tonight? Maybe it could be for you listening on the radio. Could tonight be a warning from God to you? What have you done with the message given to you from God? The message that says, you're a sinner. You need a savior. That repentance is required for God's righteous wrath to be relented. Don't take your chances. Turn to him. All, everyone, must turn to God in repentance to be delivered from judgment. In the story of Jonah, the Ninevites repent and God relents. And for this season, the city is saved. And Jonah 3 teaches us that God gives his servants second chances, that God gives a message of mercy. And God's relenting requires on man's repenting. You know, I've been thinking about it. I wonder if God still uses people who have been miraculously saved to share his message of mercy with others so they too might be saved. Do you believe his plan still works that way? That God still moves in that way? God's plan then doesn't seem so different from God's plan now. There was a disobedient man that told God no, and he ran from him in the opposite direction, but he turns back to God, and God saves him. There's a wicked city that is aimed away from God and his ways, but they turn back to God, and they are spared. God's walked through the pages of history, and he's used many reluctant prophets, many people with problematic past to do his mighty works. And listen, I'm still convinced he walks through the aisles of his churches over coats, over bags, purses and shoes to get to people. He sees people who are a bit of a scratch and dent section. People with pain, people with imperfect pasts, but people who will again turn to him and who are willing to be sent out on mission. I wonder why, what might be accomplished through your life if you just knew you had another chance. He's not done with you. He's not done with you. I'm convinced his hand is on your shoulder tonight. I think he's saying your name. I think he's met you in the pew tonight. He says, arise. I've got a job for you. Get up. Let's go.
You pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for not being done with us when we turn away. God, when we look at the life of Jonah, we say he's the last person I would use. But God, yet you use people who turn to you, who repent, who turn their hearts back towards you. God, people with troubled stories, with a history of unfaithfulness, God, thank you that your message to us is a message of mercy. God, thank you that if we repent, your judgment is relented. God, we pray tonight as your people, God, that you would come to us, that you would call us, that you would send us into this city to do your work. Because we know you're not done. And we know your plan is to use us. So God, we're ready. God, will you lead us to accomplish your kingdom work here? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.